0: Coming up on the E9 Podcast, Mike and I try to make some sense of a chaotic week in the world of golf. The drama, or lack thereof, in Mexico this last week. Patty Tabatanniket in Thailand, two weeks, two wins. We'll talk about what that means for women's golf. Charlie Woods trying to follow in his father's footsteps, trying to qualify for a PGA Tour event. And Anthony Kim returning to professional golf at Live Jetta this week after a 10-year absence. All that, and then John Pierce with the E9 interview talking about golf, life, and basketball. You don't want to miss that one. All this coming your way, right after the Freddie Jones Band on the E9 Podcast. E9 podcast. I am joined as always by Mike Nealon. We have um, kind of a big docket this week. A lot to cover before we get into our E9 interview with John. We'll hear from him later in the episode. But Mike, there's a lot to talk about, but not a lot to talk about after this last week. I think if anybody was following golf on socials, Mexico was. I'm not going to use the word bust, but it was not the most exciting tournament of the year, especially coming off the heels of you know Hideki Matsuyama at Riviera. There's a bunch of golf news stories this week, um, and so I'm going to give you the opportunity to pick the the, the headliner. What we want to talk about first on today's podcast? You good with that? I'm down. I'm ready. Okay, so here's your options as we get started today. Um, we can clearly talk about the Mexico Open, uh, Vedanta. Uh, we Pass. can talk about Pat. Okay, I'm I'm with you. Patty Tabata winning in Thailand, which actually was a very good tournament. Um, Anthony Kim joining the Live Tour starting next week in Jeddah, which is uh, really an interesting story of something we want to talk about. Charlie Woods, which kind of snuck by us, but I think just a discussion about what the press response was and the public response was to Charlie playing in a pre-qualifier for a Monday qualifier um, almost two weeks ago. The match, which is on As We Speak. It's actually on my television. You were watching a little bit of it. We can talk about that as we lead off tonight. Also, Luke Donald joining the NBC booth for the next two weeks, former number one in the world, Ryder Cup captain victorious, will be the lead analyst for NBC golf. So I'm throwing those options at you, or you can go off on your own. You can take a whole different tact and decide what we are going to kick the show off with today, because frankly, I don't know where to start.
1: Did you watch the end of the NASCAR race yesterday?
0: (laughs) No, I did not.
1: I'm sorry. It's fantastic. It's one of the best finishes ever.
0: I know that's your thing. And if you can tie it into golf, we can go there.
1: But well, I can't at all, but it was an incredible finish. So if you haven't <laughs> seen the finish, the three-way finish yesterday, go check it out. It's the closest okay. finish in, in NASCAR history.
0: It will tell you a lot about the week in golf that Mike's first thought is to endorse uh, his beloved NASCAR as we move into the E9 podcast. So, all right.
1: We no, go. let's do – all right. So here's uh, – let's talk Woods and let's talk Kim because those are the two things I okay. think that were the most polarizing.
0: They certainly were. So let me get your opinion. Um, and you come from a little bit of a different perspective. Um, you love golf. You actually play competitive golf quite often. You're you're a very competitive guy. You're uh, someone who has gotten a lot better very quickly over the last few years. So kind of letting our, our listener into kind of your background a little bit. Uh, I was with you the first time you broke 80. Um, you Your golf game has improved uh, magnificently. Thank you. But Thank you're you. you're an amateur, and I've played a lot of competitive golf. My, my handicap had been a little bit lower. Um, I've never quite been in a position to try to qualify for a Monday qualifier or make a run at a PGA Tour event, but I've tried to qualify for uh, U.S. Amateurs and, um, and U.S. Opens before. So from your perspective, Charlie Woods, 15 years old, playing in a pre-qualifier for a Monday qualifier, what that means is he's playing in a pre-tournament just to get into – the Monday qualifier that every regular PGA tour event has hoping that he can make to Monday and then possibly have a good score and get into a PGA tour event. One, which, you know, um, could have been playing alongside his father. So anyway, thoughts on, on Charlie Woods and his quest to qualify for a PGA tour event.
1: So one of the more relatable things as a golfer, right? Is the dude comes in and fires what a 12 on seven. And the first thing you want to do, and this this is terrible, right, is here I am like a 37-year-old guy and I chuckle at it. I'm like, oh, Charlie Woods with that 12, yikes. And then you 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 kind of say to yourself, all right, grow up. And you look at the fact that, and I think you pointed it out to me, Josh, like if he bogeys that hole, he, he fires like a 79. Right. And that's pretty admirable, right? And not only that, but he shoots a 12 and I think he went par par after that. So- I didn't see what happened on 12. I couldn't find really a play-by-play of what happened to the ball. But good for him, man. Like, good for him.
0: I feel the same way, you know, and I, I'm glad you said that. I was worried with uh, the way his father took a drubbing from you last week. Maybe it would carry over to his son. But uh, I do feel like if he had made, you know, he I think he finished 15 over par, which is not great. But if he had done that by making, you know, Eleven bogeys and two doubles. That's kind of a meh round, but the fact that he had a twelve on a hole and a double bogey in another hole, and shot eighty six, it feels a little bit different, you know. And and we've all had a blow up hole, um you know. And he did recover well. Shot a thirty nine on the back nine, playing with uh, a lot of very very good players in that qualifier. He wasn't the last place finisher in the field, and frankly, he was just wanting to test his game against you know good players and see where he measured up. And I. I don't think he's walking away thinking he's ready for the tour, but I do think he can hold his head high. You know, after especially rallying and finishing that back nine at three over par, I know that he had a large crowd, uh, one that wasn't very well regulated. I think he was being asked for autographs in between holes and um, just kind of unruly, you know, spectators crowding tee boxes. I can only imagine the circumstances when you're 15 years old dealing with that. I could not believe. The reaction we saw on social media from people who thought that he shouldn't be there—that uh, he was just riding his dad's coattails. These are these pre-qualifiers. You and I can enter these. In fact, we've seen stories where people lose their fantasy football league and enter into one of these. Now it costs about five hundred dollars to get into one of these events. So he certainly had a right to be there, um, and he's demonstrated that he can play. He's played in the parent-child tournament. He's played pretty admirably in those events. He's won some junior events. The the, the kid's not, you know, a nobody. He can he can move it a little bit. So I was pretty impressed and, and a little disappointed at the reaction that we had to him. If, if he was just someone else's kid, no one bats an eye, and we just move on. So just it kind of puts a spotlight on how we project ourselves onto our our heroes or our public nemesis um, when their their kids are involved. And uh, this is maybe a little sad, indicated where we are as a
1: society. Sorry that got a little yeah, deep. Yeah, it's, it, it's like. Bronny James, LeBron's son, right, at USC. And there's all this talk about, is he going to get drafted? And then you got the pundits that say, well, he shouldn't be drafted because he's not that good of a player. I don't know if that's Charlie Woods or not yet, but like you said, he got out there, played some golf, had a bad hole, recovered. Like You know better than I do, Josh. When did they start ranking these kids? Like, when I mean, do we know?
0: Amateur rankings are already happening, you know? And so Charlie has, I don't know what his ranking is, but... Um, the way they record tournament scores, I don't know if Charlie's even played an AJGA event, but most of these amateur tournaments start ranking you very, very young, depending upon the tournaments you're playing in, the quality of the field you're playing in. Um, so I don't know where he is, but he will very quickly, if he starts playing AJGA events at a higher level, those Junior Golf Association events, he'll find himself ranked in the amateur status and kind of see where he is. Um, you know, that's where I'm curious,
1: is- right? Is 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 Charlie? Is Charlie good on his own, or is he good because of his dad? Right.
0: I think and I want him to
1: be good on his own. I want him to be good on his own. Well, um, he
0: certainly has more resources than the average kid. And, that's, and kind yeah. of golf is a game of resources. Let's just call it what it is. Most junior golfers have, you know, they got to be staked. They, you know, It is not a cheap game to play. You and I both know that. And if you're a parent out there who has a kid playing golf, you know it's expensive. Um, and so it is a tough gig to get into. He's, he's got some advantages in that regard. But golf is still a meritocracy. He's still got to shoot the score. You know, you mentioned uh, Bronny, who, by all accounts, a good basketball player. Um, it's a little bit different. You know, he may get drafted for reasons that may not be meritus, that may not be um, reflective of his ability. And who can fault him for that? It's not his fault if someone drafts him onto a team, gets him onto a G League team, gets him on the court with his dad. Um, I think we'd all actually be interested to see that. But in Charlie's case, he certainly probably will get some sponsors exemptions that might be a little bit controversial as he gets older. You know, his dad started playing tournament golf on the tour when he was 17 years old. I can see maybe someone trying to generate some interest in an event like Mexico, giving Charlie a chance, but even then he's got to get a lot better to get there. And I think those tournament uh, sponsors or directors know that regardless at least he kind of has an idea of where he is now as a golfer. And that's why you play in those things. You kind of are measuring yourself as a chance for him to go out and see where he is um, and what he needs to work on uh, in competitive men's golf. You know, that's not kids golf, that's men's golf. They're playing a longer set of tees than he may be playing in junior events. So I'm really good on him. And, and if you want to criticize him, go walk him out on his shoes. You go try to do one of those things, see if you can do any better. Uh, and I may to try to. I may <laughs> try to do it. Maybe you should. Maybe we should put you up to that. Just see how you – uh, good, good, Yeah, some good
1: E9 content.
0: For sure. Um, you also mentioned Anthony Kim, and I know – I'm gonna hey, I'm Let me ask you real quick,
1: Josh. Let me ask yeah. you real quick. Sure. What do you think Tiger said to, to, to his son after that?
0: I think Tiger is Earl Woods' kid. And so he told him to toughen up. You know, I think he said, I don't think Tiger, uh, clearly he loves Charlie. And, you know, we'll never forget the moment after the 2019 Masters. But I think when it comes to Charlie's golf, Tiger's probably hard on him. He's he's treating him the way his father treated him. And, you know, you don't like what happened? Fix it. Play better. Play better golf. I think that's probably Tiger's, if I'm guessing from all I've read and seen from Tiger, even the softer version of Tiger – I don't think he's going to go easy on Charlie. I don't think that's in his DNA. I think that's how he got better. And I think um, he does it with love, but I don't think he's he's feeling sorry for him. He's
1: probably getting a little, a little ribbing at the dinner table about a 12. I never made a 12. Well, hey, you know, at least Charlie didn't withdraw after the 12.
0: <laughs> for sure. See, he's already got one over his pops. He can just fight right back at him, right? Um, you brought up Anthony Kim, a big story this week. You know, and. Again, we talked about your golf experience. You may not even remember Anthony Kim, you know, 10 years ago, his last competitive golf. Uber talented guy. Um, he, he played a classic Ryder Cup match where he beat Sergio Garcia, um, actually beat him and thought he was still playing and walked to the next tee box. Um, has, now, what is three- the hype
1: here? What's the hype,
0: Josh? So like, he, he's a guy. Multiple played- people
1: have said, hey, you're going to love this guy. Like, you're gonna- Anthony Kim is up your alley, Mike. He's very
0: charismatic. He he attempts shots. You know, he's a little bit Phil Mickles in light. You know, he attempts shots that most guys don't attempt. Ten years ago, he was one of the longer players on tour. He was very um, charismatic. Uh, He would he would think nothing of trying to hit a, a, you know, long iron out of a fairway bunker over a water hazard um, from two hundred and twenty yards out. He's just very hyper aggressive. Um, He also resonated with a lot of people because he was a little bit of an everyman. He was he was. Charismatic, but he wasn't on the range beating golf balls all day. Um, he would talk to the fans. Um, he was very, very likable in the public eye, and a lot of people thought he might be the next challenger to Tiger. You know, he won a couple events at a very young age, and then with injuries and and maybe ambivalence and some bad results, he disappeared. He kind of disappeared into the ether. And and kind of the story was no one knew where he was. You know, he's in Scottsdale enjoying the party scene. He liked to go out. He liked to socialize. And so there's this kind of been a mystery around him the last decade, but he's, I think he's 37, 38 years old now. You know, he's not the young man he was 10 years ago. Um, this feels like more of a publicity stunt going back to live. But that said, I am certainly paying attention this week. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what he does. Uh, I really like someone, I, again, I'm not doing a job of crediting this, but on uh, on Twitter or X said you know this a uh, short attention span universe we're in. If he has a couple bad tournaments, no one's going to think about him. you know it's it is a performance based world, and even if he's on live, if he's out there shooting seventy eight and finishing at the bottom of these fields, you know, the novelty's going to wear off that pretty quickly. But that said, and if you saw Greg Norman in Live's post today, kind of really putting him front front forward against uh, the you know the Jeddah field this week. He, ahead of Rom, ahead of you know Cam Smith. Anthony Kim has been the show this week. It's going to be, I don't want to say must watch TV, but must pay attention to TV. Um, and it, it's probably a really good PR move by Live, And they didn't pay him the $30 million. I think he, he got like a 6 or $7 million signing bonus just. I mean, that's a lot of money for a guy who hasn't played competitive golf in 10 years. But it's going to be something to pay attention to. And I know I'll be paying attention to it.
2: And and he couldn't,
1: like we're talking about him going to Live, which everyone probably thinks, oh, well, they just paid him more money. But could he even technically get into a tour event to play if he wanted to.
0: Right. This is the spot he had to land because yeah. other than sponsors exemptions. And again, he would have gotten some, but there's no guarantee of income there. you know. And I don't think he's doing any of this. He's not putting himself out there in this way to go and miss a bunch of cuts on sponsors exemptions. It's just not happening. And so it would make sense. It, it kind of was the logical thing. And I think we tweeted this last week when this first came out is it makes sense for him to go to live. This is the, of all the people you would think would fit into their paradigm. He's probably one of them. Really popular, um, kind of a social media darling, um, has a lot of mystery around him. He's not eligible. You know, he has no tour eligibility at this point. Man, it seems like this is a no brainer for Liv and makes perfect sense that he's playing. A little surprising he's playing this week and not maybe kicking it off in America. But the sooner they can get him out there and against a a pretty weak field on the PGA Tour next week, this is going to be another win for Liv. No doubt. Another win for Liv.
1: And I think he's going to play as a wild card. Like that's something new Liv has done.
0: Right. And I think they've that's-
1: instituted three or four wild card exemptions every week. Yeah. And he's not part of a team. So he'll be just competing for the individual title,
0: which I like, kind of like a free agent play. Maybe someone oh, picks you up. I mean, it feels at least somewhat like an entry point for players to get into the team structure, live, and maybe a, a pathway for world golf rankings, which is, again, a big story from this week. Um, Bryson's interview uh, on, a, on a fellow podcast about how these world golf ranking points are almost meaningless to them now because they can't even get caught up if they start getting ranking points for these events. Um, But I think at least it feels like, okay, you can play your way into live a little bit if you can get into a field. They're they're letting free agents, quote unquote, I guess that's the only way I can phrase it, play in these events.
1: Yeah. They had that wonky, like before the season started qualifying tournament week where it was like three different cuts. It's where Chase Kepka crapped the bed and, that's right. why you don't see him on the course anymore.
0: Right. Um, um, we're going to talk about Liv a little bit more here in a minute. So hold on to that thought. because I do think there's more of a discussion around um, Jetta this week and, uh, and some interest in Liv. I do think we need to very briefly talk about Mexico. Um, I spent a lot of time watching golf in Mexico with players that I really have never heard of before. Uh, I heard of Jake Knapp. He's been talked about as an uber talent. Um, if I have a nickel for every time that you know, NBC Golf tried to show um, – I'm sorry. Yeah, it was NBC Golf trying to show his swing looking like Fred Couples. You know, I'd be a rich man. Um, that said, Jake Knapp is not Fred Couples. Uh, he's a guy who had a really good Saturday round and then spent most of Sunday mishitting shots just well enough to get <laughs> the job done against a field that was, man, a weak field. The guy he beat, this uh, uh, Sammy uh, uh, I by all accounts – Probably wants to be more of a hockey player than a golfer, you know. And if you watch him swing, it looked like he kind of had a hockey player swing. That's the guy that was runner up. Um, So a good win for Jake Knapp. I was blown away by a couple things. The strength of the field that we all tried to talk ourselves into was terrible. Um, Even the names we knew didn't ever matriculate to the top of the leaderboard. You know, Tony Finau kind of was a distant, you know, fifteenth or sixteenth, and he was the defending champion. The golf course itself after Riviera was just a snooze. Like that golf course was as boring as you can get after Riviera. It's it's a type of golf course you and I could go to Mexico and play, you know, for 150 bucks with a couple of our buddies with their shoes off, um, which is fine. But I don't know if I want to see it for a tour event. Um, and then the other thing that really does not add a lot of uh, – God bless Jake for winning the tournament. I think it's going to be great for him. He's getting to the Masters now. You know, he's got his exemption. He wins one point, almost one point five million dollars. Mike, imagine that one point five million dollars, um, and yet nobody was there. Like if you watched, I don't know if you how much of it you watched. You know, he's playing. You know, holes kind of six through fifteen, and we've had larger galleries at our member member tournament. I mean, it was empty out there, which I don't know how much pressure you can feel outside of the the dollar figure sitting in front of you, and and some of the perks of the win. When there's 50 people on a hole watching you play in the final group of a PJ event, it was just very. The product itself was not very good, um and I don't know how what else to talk about that event. I just don't think there's a whole lot of talking points to hit. Much like the fact they brought up his grandfather four thousand times. Great story that he's playing for his or grandfather. He's a he's,
1: but, a he's a bouncer in a nightclub
0: or the bouncer in the nightclub. I mean, that's how many times can you hit those beats? There's no one else to talk about, um and so you end up kind of beating a dead horse a little bit. And by the end of Sunday, it just. It was a mercy killing for that thing to finally end. It took forever to play the 18th hole because Alnaki's, you know, got his ball sitting under a fence over there. It's like, good Lord, just give this guy his money and let's move on to next week. So um, I'm being a little overly critical here, but I really felt like, man, I wish Liv had a tournament this week. I would much rather have seen Dustin and Brooks. I mean, tell me, you, you put a Liv event, which now they have legit, I mean, it's a strong field if you put Rom and Brooks and DJ and Cam Smith and Jocko out there and Bryson. That's a far more intriguing field than what you'll find ting off, which is basically glorified corn fairy event in Mexico last week. Uh, It's something the tour has to fix. It's not a product that's going to be consumable for long.
1: It feels like, listen, it's been trending for a while that the majors were all that mattered, right? And now the signature events are going to be marquee events. And I think they're good, but everything else in between just feels like filler. And I think the tour is going to struggle with that. It's a, they're having a full season or a full roster of tournaments and only a handful are really going to be must-see TV and, you know, the Mexico, John Deere, these tournaments are going to be, unfortunately, they're going to be tough to watch.
0: They're really tough to watch. And without these, these live players that might fill in some of these spots, might be incentivized to go play in Mexico. There's nobody, there's no incentive to go from, you know, Los Angeles and Riviera Uh, And go down to Mexico, and then head over to Florida for what is a fairly popular stretch of golf. You know, going over to PGA National, and uh, then to Bay Hill, and and of course up to TPC Sawgrass. So it's really a dead week in the schedule. It almost feels like they need to to spice it up with a team event, and uh, or do something different. My, I just I I put out there on on the internet the other day. Why not invite your live guys to come back and play in those events? Hey guys, come back play this event. If you play well enough, a, you get your world golf ranking points. You play well enough, you can qualify for the signature events, and you can kind of get back into the flow. You know, something to spice up those fields that would never happen because there's too many egos involved. But if you're just thinking logically, maybe you don't want to invite the live guys back to play right away in the big events, the signature events. What's going to hurt to get them? Give them a chance to play in Mexico and see see if they can't grind their way into a signature event and, and give yeah, them. you're not going
1: to get. Brooks and and DJ and John to play in Mexico, but you'll get like the Mito Pereira, you'll get some of these other guys that are gonna go For over sure. there and sure play. You Why know, not? Especially if there's money on the line.
0: And you have Carlos Ortiz winning uh, you know, an Asian tour event this week. You know, as a live player, they can play in some of those Asian tour events. Um, man, it would have been so much better to see him play in Mexico where he would have a following. The fans would show up like, give that dude a chance to do that. You know, these guys are playing, you know, Neiman and Ustoysen, these guys are playing in, you know. I don't even know they're Oman this week, trying to get world golf ranking points and, and the tour is missing an opportunity to give them a platform. And I know that it's just, they want to punish these guys for, for making the decision they made. And it probably opens a whole can of worms. They don't want to open, but at some point detente has to be reached um, because this was a wasted weekend and, and it's money. And, and God bless again, Jake Knapp for winning one point four five eight million million. But that is not a sustainable economic model to put, you know maybe 5000 people on a golf course to watch a tournament in Mexico that no one cares about and then give you have an 8 million dollar purse and, and pay a guy who's played nine events 1.458 million dollars it's just crazy to me it's
1: just crazy you, you think they care though you think like jay monahan the sports strategy group whatever it is do you think they care or are they they know where they're making their
0: money so i do think i do think they know where they're making their money i think they they have to do these things to keep up appearances it's not sustainable. Like if you're a businessman, this this is not a sustainable long term model. If you're thinking you're going to compete with the public investment fund in Saudi Arabia and the pockets that they have by putting these fields together and playing for the, you know an eight million dollar purse, you're just not. You're you're not even apples and oranges. You're 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 apples and you know walnuts. You're just in totally two different worlds. And so uh, it's just not a business model that a good businessman looks at and says, well, this is not sustainable because you're asking for money from your sponsors and those sponsors are not going to, you know, throw good money after bad. I see maybe another year of this. And I do think that they have the funding out of the St- strategic sports group to continue on this way for about a year or two. But at a certain point, I think everybody expects there's going to be, like I said, some sort of taunt with live we might see a world tour come about. Uh, I think that's yeah. why Rory has softened his view. I do think it means that these events will, if they exist, will exist on a much lower tier with a much smaller purse. And they're going to feel a little bit like corn fairy plus instead of PJ tour events. And maybe that's the way we're going. But right now that was a, I'm not going to say it's a wasted weekend. I, I love having golf on in the background, but I was with family all weekend. I took the whole weekend to watch golf with my family sitting there. I had my computer open. and uh, I had the TV on, you know, the Bucks were playing yesterday. So I was watching some of that. And um, it just felt like if I'm going to spend all these hours watching and consuming this product, it's got to be better than this. It just has to be because the quality of golf was, was poor. Like, it was poor golf. It was not good golf.
1: Do you know what the people of Mexico were tuned into?
0: Uh, probably Daytona or whatever you're watching the NASCAR,
1: Daniel I mean, Suarez winning in Atlanta, probably,
0: probably that was from, from La-
1: yeah the the a mexican born driver who who went out there and won
0: that's awesome. you know it, it, a little bit on the nose, but I mean seriously, i I probably would have preferred that as well. Uh, what I did prefer, Mike, and i I tried to stay up late on Saturday night because this was happening halfway across the world uh, and watch the end of the Honda. Uh, LPGA tournament. My curiosity and, and kind of fandom for Patty Tabataniket, as you probably kind of sensed last week as she was leading in her home country, um, I fell asleep, but I got up early on Sunday morning and it was my best golf experience this weekend as I um, was able to kind of fast forward through commercials and watch Patty Tabataniket hold on to win by one. A four shot lead going into the final round. Um, Alban um, Valenzuela uh, from Switzerland made a run, shot 30 on the back nine, and uh, tied. Tabatanket twice. And Patty T won on the 18th hole with a birdie of her own. And it was awesome. The quality of golf was a hundred times better than what I saw in Mexico. Seeing someone win in their home country like Patty Tabatanket did was incredible. Um, The field was strong. It was international. The course was really, really interesting. Even the sounds off the golf course, I love the ambient audio. I mean, it's not like there were like, Monkeys screaming in the background. Like I would have been terrified playing golf out there, like in the middle of Thailand, and it sounded like there's a jungle right there. It was a really cool, kind of the exact opposite of what we got out of Mexico. The fans were there; they were really engaged. Uh, It was a great tournament. Uh, Tabatanicit wins the second week in a row. This is actually only her second LPGA Tour victory. Last week was a Ladies European Tour win, but a million dollars in the last two weeks. Um, And I, I compare that to to Jake Knapp. In his ninth event, winning one point almost 1.5 million. Um, to someone like Patty Tabotanicett, who's you know had a really storied amateur career, has won a major on the LPGA tour, um, a really interesting, you know, character. Uh, I said she's someone you really can't take your eyes off of. She she can hit some of the squirreliest shots you'll see and some of the most beautiful shots you'll see. She might shoot 62, she might shoot 82. Um, it was really fun to see her play well, and I felt like man, she deserves the 1.5 mil because I think she's doing more for her game right now than whatever happened in Mexico was. So anyway, I don't know if you watched any of that. Um, it certainly is intriguing to see talented players like Patty um play halfway across the world than it was seeing a bunch of Corn Fairy guys you know, trying to pretend play a PGA Tour event this week, for me. Uh,
1: I didn't watch it, but I feel like... Are you tweeting... Patty, letting her know your your feelings because you seemed, I think I, you need to.
0: I've always, I've really always liked your game, and I, 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 think I told you last week I was at um, Pelican last year for the Annika tournament, and I purposely went and followed her for three or four holes because she is so interesting to watch. She she plays an aggressive style of golf. She might miss hit a seven iron. She might lay the sod over it and go fifty yards and and dunk the next one. She can make four birdies in a row. She can make four doubles in a row. Um, she might play a hole in. 30 seconds, and she might play a hole in in 30 minutes. It just you don't know with her. Um, she's a really interesting personality. Um, she kind of marches to her own drummer. Um, she's incredibly likable. She's the type of star so, you want so, on your tour. So, yeah, I'm, so a, fan, of I'm us, a fan. for those For those of us a, that aren't going to wake up. so much fun to so, say, Mike. Tabatannikit. Tabatannikit. Patty,
1: You're You're doing, you're doing okay. pretty well. So, so Josh, for those of us that aren't going to wait up, wait, excuse me, wake up at you know three in the morning to watch Tavitanic, when will we be able to watch her during normal business hours? Is she going to so, be playing in the majors?
0: They're still overseas for a couple of weeks, and then they'll be back for major. The first major tournament I think is in three weeks, and so uh, we'll get to see them uh, sooner rather than later. Um, and I think it's something I'll put on your radar when the time comes. How about that? I promise you, when it's time for you to tune it in, I'm going to ask you to tune it in, so you can you, you can give me your thoughts on it.
1: I will. I will commit to you. I will watch one round of Tavitanic. Nice.
0: Um, I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, live in Jeddah next week. Let's look at what's coming up. Um, first, the PGA Tour headed to a, a traditional event with a different name this year. Uh, one of the oldest events on tour was the Honda Classic, played at PGA National, famous for the bear trap on the back nine uh, down there in West Palm Beach. Uh, it is now the Cognizant uh, Tournament. Uh, Honda did not want to put up the type of money that is being asked of sponsors for these events, and uh, they have backed away. It was a huge loss for the PGA Tour to say goodbye to such an important sponsor. And so we have a new sponsor this week, same golf course, um, a fairly weak field, uh, except for the notable exception of Roy McIlroy, will be in West Palm Beach playing next week, which will instantly bring eyes and credibility to the event. Uh, I've played that golf course over there, Mike, at PGA Nashville. It is national It's one of the hardest golf courses I've ever played, especially when the wind blows. Would you shoot? Um, I I certainly did not break 80, and I probably lost at least a sleeve of golf balls. There's water on 16 of the holes out there and the last five holes. It's just, it seems like a watery grave on any sort of mishit and even good shots in the wind. Um, There's no wind blocks out there. It's a flat golf course. I'm really surprised that Rory's playing. I really am. Uh, It does not seem like the type of golf course that he might um, do very well at. Um, it is it is a driver golf course, but there's a lot of precision shots that are needed out there. Um, and it's just not a lot of fun to play that golf course four days in a row, especially if it's windy. But at least it feels like we have a tour field next week. Um, and so that will be going against a tournament in Saudi Arabia. Obviously, a little different time frame, but um, Live Jeddah next week. And I am moderately interested, again, because of Anthony Kim. Uh, But also because I want to see as these guys get ready for the first major of the year. You know, we're about a month and a half from Augusta. You know, who's in form? What this may look like, especially for uh, wagering purposes. What's the
1: alligator situation on that course?
0: (laughs) At uh, PJ National? Uh, There are alligators. Yeah, there's no doubt there are alligators. It's not some place that you hit a ball in the water and go fishing around for it. You just... You nod your head, you know, to the golf gods, and you you walk on, uh, keeping all your appendages intact. Um, yeah, I don't I'm know the water the situation. I don't know the gator situation in Jeddah though, um, but I will be interested in watching it this week. Let me ask you this, Mike, and and I want to think about different types of competitive golf. Uh, this Mexico tournament got me thinking, man, maybe this should have been a team event where you invite the LPGA players. You know, watching Rosang and Lexi Thompson play with Rory and Max Homa tonight. It's interesting. The interaction is interesting. The quality of golf is very, very high. Um, Is that something you can do for a tour event? I don't know. Can you at least have maybe the women and men playing separate tournaments on the same course? Is that something you can do? Um, Or just a team golf format. You know, I don't like the team golf format of Live Live. But I think I understand what they're trying to get at. They're trying to build brands. They're trying to give ownership to the players. Um, they're hoping people will slowly glom on to, you know, Legion 13 or um, the, you know, Smash. P- Smash. Uh, I don't know if I'm ever going to buy in. I don't think I'm ever going to really track team standings. I think it's just too hard to do. But I think I'm now really curious at the quality of golf that these guys are playing on the tour. Um, and it's going to have eyeballs for me this week. I, I'm, I don't know if I'll watch any of it, but I certainly will pay attention to it this week, maybe more than I ever have before. So that there's no so, question there, but is there a place for team golf on the PGA tour? Is, there's need to be more of that. Not,
1: not in, not in Mexico, right? Like if, if the team element has the success of the team element has to do with the players on the team, right? So you could have had the most, the best golf you've ever seen being played, but if it's, was it Jake Knapp is captaining a team and guy that came in second, people aren't going to, people aren't going to care about that. I think the, the, the team thing that's compelling to me, and it's always the most exciting part of any sort of like fantasy draft is, is the draft, right. Of who is Brooks kept going to, going to pick with his first overall pick. Who's DJ going to pick. And that's compelling. Unfortunately, it's, I think where Live missed the mark is they've tried to build these teams where they're the same over time to build the brand so that they can go and get sponsors. So, like you missed out on the the draft this year that they had last year, but it the team thing when you've got these polarizing characters, Kepka, DJ, Rom, Smith, all you're really going to tune into is to see how they're playing, right? Yeah. Like if Brooks is, you know, four over and Jason Kokrak is. 10 under. Like, I'm not doing the math to figure out where does that put Smash GC in the rankings. Right. My takeaway there is less about Smash and more Brooks Kepka. Right. Crap the bed. Right. Um, so, yeah, I understand why Liv does it. I, I think it's, listen, if I'm one of those golfers that was drafted last in Liv hell yeah, I'm on the team Team game because I'm winning millions of dollars.
0: That's right. There's a lot of money a, in the team, there's team game. There's a lot right? of money
1: up for grabs. Um, but I think for the fans, like no one, like listen, I'm a big merch guy, Josh. I think, you know, anyone that knows me, I love merch. And, uh, you know, shameless plug, E9's about to drop some merch in the near future. Yes, we are. But I'm not ordering a Smash GC shirt. I'm not getting a high flyers ball marker. Like it's just not,
0: and I think they're counting on that, right? I think that's something in their mind that that may happen. But, you know, people like teams because they have regional or local connections to them, your local football team or the college you went to and their their basketball team. Um, you may like a team um, because, uh, you know, it's a community event for your family. Um, even though you don't live in Dallas, your whole family are Cowboys fans. It's It's a communal experience. And I just don't know if they're Grabbing the golf fans with that type of methodology, I just don't think, I don't think that's so. something always buying into. It's just
1: seems and they so uh, And I'm not, I'm not the expert on this, but like that indoor league that Rory and Tiger put together, like there were teams. It was like the Boston Commons, and like they tried to make a big spectacle of the days that they were announcing which players were going to be playing for which cities. And there's investors, like Arthur right. Blank who owns the Falcons, owns a team, right? I, I didn't hear anyone get real fired up about like. Oh, uh, who were who was on the team that was like, well, where's Rory playing? Exactly. Where's Tiger playing.
0: Hey man, they dodged a bullet with that. I really believe this. I think when that windstorm hit and knocked that bubble out, I think they were very, very happy to say, oh. Hey, we're gonna push this back a year. Um, because I don't I think they're looking at what's happening live and they realize they are not where they thought they were as far as the interest that might come from the public. In fact, I'm far more interested in this nine-hole or twelve hole skins game with Roseang and Lexi Thompson and Max Home and Roy McElroy mic'd up. I'd much rather watch this every Monday night. Absolutely. If you could do this every Monday night, get me under the lights. And I can. The other thing they're doing here, Mike, is they got DraftKings and FanDuel live odds on the screen here. You know, you can sit here and and immediately bet on this stuff. Um, I think that's really fantastic. I find that much more intriguing than watching the guys hit him simulator. Yeah, I find that much more interesting.
1: The whole golf league felt like American Gladiators. It was like, welcome to the Thunderdome. And then the thing blew over. Well, it's just
0: it, it it's something Tiger wanted to do, and it, and if you're paying attention here, the whole Live PGA Tour split is really Phil and Tiger and their rivalry continuing on, and Tiger trying to create a product that could rival Live. And if Tiger puts his name on it, people will pay attention to it, and if he shows up, they will watch. But even I think the most diehard golf fan is going to get a little bored watching guys hit into a screen and put on the fake greens. Like, I, I mean, you guys have the Golf Sanctuary there. You can go to Top Golf, like. I don't think that has the appeal. You know, they envision a Monday night football scenario. I don't see that. I see, I see this, if you can do this six times a year with a match and have characters like Homa and Rory, um, and you can have them mic'd up and Barkley trash talking with them, um, you know, it's not a perfect production. But you do it enough times, I think you can find this to be a little more fan-friendly than what they're playing. And it knows just, what it is, right? Golf. The match
1: knows what it is. It That's is right. Not, it's a fun, social, mic'd up golf event. And the feeling I got with this indoor league was they were trying to make it a production, a serious competition. Yeah. And it's like, well, I only know the Boston team because I'm, I'm from Boston. But it was like Rory McIlroy, he has no connection to Boston. Like He lives in Jupiter.
0: And at it least was like, well, you know. Geographically together, right? At least Liv is like, hey, we're going to put guys who have Spanish sounding last names together, even though one's from Spain and one's from Argentina. We're at least going to attempt it. Like there's no attempt for this with the, with the
1: DGL. I think you're right. Listen, I think you know this is a ESPN 30 for 30. Ten years from now, that that windstorm was was on purpose. That, I that think thing blew that, exactly. over for a nice insurance claim. And I would right. be shocked if that thing ever gets legs. I, I would be shocked if that ever hits the air, airwaves.
0: I, I think you're probably right, and I'm I'm going to be paying a little bit of attention to it. But if if it comes down to it, I'd much rather watch live golf under the lights four or five times a year on, on yeah. a dead Monday night than that. So Mike, uh, any other words for us as we uh, move on from this week and um, think about reconvening next week after the cognizant at PGA national, any no, words hopefully we will have, have some,
1: have some better golf to talk about.
0: I would hope so as well. I hope Rory can deliver for us because he's been a heck of a lot of fun to watch tonight uh, and he's hitting the ball really well. So um, I'm, I'm ready to put a little bit of uh, maybe a little capital down as we get ready for the masters uh, here. I think he's, the odds aren't great, but I think you can get them pretty good for you know a top twenty. Anyhow, Mike, good seeing you. We'll uh, do it Me again too, next week. We'll move on to John Pierce here in a minute on the E Nine Podcast. Man, am I excited to introduce our guest for the E Nine interview today, John Pierce, friend of the pod. Occasional guest host on the pod, personal friend of mine. I'm going to brag on him because he certainly won't do it himself, but John is famous in Tennessee basketball circles, played at Lipscomb University. He is college basketball's all-time leading scorer at any level, a four-time NAIA All-American, member of Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame, and basketball coach here in Nashville for Nashville Christian High School. 300-plus wins on his coaching resume. He's here to talk basketball, golf, which is a passion of his, and a little bit of advice to parents out there who may have an athlete looking to play at the next level. Really excited to hear from him today. I'm joined by a really special guest, um, special uh, because he's done a lot in his career, but also special because he's one of my best friends, uh, John Pierce. Welcome to the E9 Podcast. As a guest at this time, not as a host, you've been on here a few times before, but um, I'm really excited to have you as a guest and talking about not just your love of golf, um, but kind of your role in developing athletes, and uh hopefully parents who may be listening to this podcast developing athletes who uh, are interested in taking their golf games to the next level, so let's start here, man. how you doing?
2: yeah, I'm doing great i'm I'm happy to be here. I'm getting to talk about you know some of the things I'm most passionate about and spend some time with you. I'm super excited about it. Thanks for having me,
0: yeah, man. and uh I'll note first so we can just out of the way we're talk a lot about things that you love. I just want everybody to know you love your family first and foremost, because you probably won't (laughs) mention them one time if I don't, but I want, if they're listening, we're going to talk a lot about things he loves, but we just want the listener to know your family is number
2: one, you know, faith and family. I'm glad you said that because that's really important, especially if they listen.
0: That's right. (laughs) But now we're going to take it uh, down a level and talk about uh, the things that you have uh, really engaged in your life. Um, not only as an athlete, but as a, as a coach as well. Um, you know you started playing basketball at a very young age uh, and reached a very high level um, I, I'm not sure if basketball's been your favorite sport in your life, but it's been one that you've probably been most successful at and you're most most known for. How did you start playing basketball
2: well I, I would say that basketball is certainly the the sport that I've loved the most for most of my life um and I, and I still love the game of basketball. I do think it's the greatest team sport that there is uh but I started playing. Gosh, I don't know. You know, my dad was a a professional football player. um, And and so, you know, sports were always a part of our family's life. You know, we that's what me and my dad did from the time that I was walking. You know, we were in the backyard throwing football or baseball or basketball or whatever. So, you know, I was doing that from as long as I can remember. Uh, I really started falling in love with basketball probably in the like middle school age, you know, when my best friend at that time uh, loved basketball. And so, you know, you, you sort of gravitate to the things that your good friends are doing. And, and that's, you know, kind of where I ended up falling in love with the game. And for those listeners who don't know, you, uh, had a very successful
0: high school career, a very successful college career at Lisbon University in Nashville, uh, where you still live. And then a, a successful pro career traveling. Well, tell us about it, um, across the world, to Australia and France. Um, when did you figure out that this was
2: something you might could do uh to pay the bills?
0: Like how did you get to that point?
2: Well, you say successful and, and it was successful in in the sense of of, you know, doing things and and succeeding at the sport. I, I didn't play at the highest level uh ever, you know, in college or, you know, overseas, but it certainly you know, the, the, the things that basketball has given me in my lifetime are incredible. The opportunities I have, the places I've been, the people I've met. Um, basketball has given me so much uh, in my lifetime. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to play five years overseas. I got to go play in France and play in Australia and play in Japan and, uh, you know, just get to experience these different cultures, uh, meeting people from all over the world. Um going with Americans to these places and experiencing these uh these countries was incredible. Um and you know, I, I wouldn't say that it was I, I honestly wish I could go back and wish I had really gone for the NBA. At that time I was happy to have these great experiences and, and get to go see these different places and experience all these different things. Um I you know, even after I graduated college, I knew I wanted to be a high school basketball coach. Uh, and so I was anxious to get that started. Um, you know, the, the thought of me playing in the NBA was, it didn't even really cross my mind. I was just kind of enjoying the experience of playing overseas and and uh, thinking about my college, my high school coaching career. And that's really cool. I mean, that, that was a goal of yours at a young
0: age. Um, and obviously, you know, I have... Um... Full disclosure, I've, I've coached with you and uh, some of the best years of my life are spent uh, sitting alongside you on the sideline and, and enjoying uh, the game that we both love. Um, but not only do you have a, a passion for basketball, it, and that's what's, I think, important to our podcast today is you have a passion for for working with kids and helping them bring out the best in their abilities. Um, what is it about coaching in high school specifically versus maybe moving up to college or even beyond that has really
2: attracted you? I think... Coaching a high school athlete, you have the opportunity to have so many aha moments uh, where, you know, kids get it. And and by it, I mean, whatever you're whatever you're teaching, whether it be basketball or um, life or the gospel or whatever it is that you're trying to get across. And you have kids are so impressionable at the high school level. Um, and, and you have more and more aha moments. I think in, you know, in college it gets pretty businesslike and, um, it just, it was never something that really appealed to me as much as, uh, having the opportunity to, to sort of speak into the lives of these high school boys. Um, uh, so yeah, that's, that's really what I, what I, why I've done it so long and why I did it originally. So taking
0: this to maybe your your new love uh, athletically when did the basketball love kind of transition to the love of the game of golf while we're here
2: what we're here to talk about uh definitely in college I started playing a lot and uh you know I played my dad sort of played golf when I was before I was born he was he played some golf and gave it up as we were me and my younger brother were growing up because we were into sports and doing all kinds of things so he, he really didn't play that much and then he sort of picked it back up when I was in college and so uh we got to where we were playing a lot and he was back into the game and I really really got into the game and my dad uh and mom joined a uh, a country club here in in Tennessee and uh I got to play as much as I wanted and and uh absolutely fell in love with the game as as you know and anyone who's a golfer knows it's becomes obsessive and uh you know golf is an incredible individual sport and i uh, am certainly and have been addicted for uh, a long time uh and it it kind of started i think in college for the most part
0: did you find any parallels in uh in playing basketball and golf or do you find kind of maybe one gave you something the other didn't give or vice versa
2: well, I think the thing that I love about golf is that, and, and I think it's the thing with basketball is the freer you are, the better you are. Uh, and, you know, as a coach of, of high school basketball now, you know, we try to get our guys to play free and that's really, really hard because we also want them to do what we want them to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so getting them to do what we want them to do and play free is really difficult. I think in golf, when it's just me, um, those times when, when I'm completely just freed up about pressure or, uh, technique or, and I'm just out there just playing uh, those, those are the moments you really, you really come back to the game for, uh, you know, there's moments when you're, you're not thinking about what you're doing. You're not thinking about how far your backswing is. You're, you're just You're, you're just doing what you do uh, and that you're really doing it well. Um, and so in that way, I think basketball and golf are a great parallel because we've had those moments in basketball where you're, the team is just flowing, you know, you're not thinking about what you're doing, but you're really succeeding at a high level. Um, and it's the same in golf and I'm, I'm sure it's the same in all sports. Those are just the two sports I know the best, um, and so in that way it's certainly similar. I think there's a lot of similarities in in the golf swing and shooting. Uh and also in the in the idea of being free and, and not thinking about what you're doing, but just in the technique. You know, it's you can get into the real details of your swing or your or your basketball shot and and it's about repetition. Once you repeat that same thing over and over again to where you can get to that point where you can be free and not think about what you're doing. Uh, is, is there's a lot of comparables between the shot in basketball and the golf swing.
0: So you're you're kind of talking about being more Phil Mickelson than Patrick Cantlay. Is that is that fair?
2: Yeah, that's 100% fair. Yeah, I mean that, that I wouldn't say I'm a Phil Mickelson fan, uh, but you know, certainly I love to watch him do his thing. Or not do his thing and and but do right. it freely. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. He don't care. No, he
0: don't care. He and, don't he, care. It's what made him a great what makes him a great champion. Um, um what I mean you talked a little bit about the similarities, um differences as well, you know, the the cerebral nature of golf, uh the singular
2: nature of golf, you know. Um You know, there's a there's a competitiveness that translates to both, but there's an aggression in basketball that's required to be great, that is not required in golf. Um, And, you know, we've all seen golfers who have that aggression and they can use it for good and for bad, and and basketball as well. Um, But but golf is much more contemplative um, and you can figure things out in golf a lot more than basketball. In basketball, if you just give it 110% and run through walls and dive on the floor for loose balls and give everything you can, you're going to be successful. Golf's not like that. I mean, you you can't just get out there and grind it and grit your teeth and swing harder. And that is not how golf works. Um, And so in that way, they are different. Uh, You know, I know that I've had players on my basketball teams who they can't really score, but man, they're super effective because they're going to give it everything they have. And they're going to be the best defenders and run through the walls and dive on the floor, you know, and get every rebound. And that's, that mentality doesn't suit golf at all. Um, Now there is a competitiveness in golf that's required, uh, you know, and the guys that just refuse to lose um, succeed in golf. And so in that way, you know, there's similarities, but but just to grit your teeth and get after it, that golf does, usually doesn't work in golf. It doesn't.
0: It, it's a short-lived yeah. – for guys who, you know, try to use their emotions to dictate their golf game, it doesn't uh, last long when it comes to playing for money. It That's may right. get you through a couple yeah. holes against your buddies. Um You, yeah. you um, have been on our Masters podcast several times. Um you're famous for uh, the annual master's draft that we used to hold uh, at school uh, which was maybe the highlight uh, of you know my year when we did that uh, so I know you love that tournament you've got your master's hat on now um, what's your favorite memory of augusta uh, of the masters I know you've been a few times and I, I know one of those involved being there as a as a young man too so what's your what's your favorite memory of augusta national
2: uh Do you mean the favorite memory of actually being there, or just in general?
0: Well, I mean, let's tackle both of those things. I I, would say in general and actually being there.
2: Of in general, man, there's so so many memories. You know, I think Tiger in '97 uh, was incredible. Um, You know what he did in '97. I think Tiger's chip in uh, was it. 2001, 2002, I, I don't five. remember when, oh, is it five? Yeah, 2005, 2005 when Tiger yeah. tipped down in, in 16, incredible. Um, Tiger's win in 19 was unbelievable. I'm also a huge Tiger Woods fan. So most of my master's memories uh, revolve around Tiger. Uh, you know, some of my favorite memories of actually being there, I think um, the first time I went was 1992, uh and you know we went to a practice round and and you know that was before the masters had really taken off there wasn't huge crowds and you know we're walking around and you know I'm 3 feet from Jack Nicholas and um i go to Jose Maria Olfavo and i say, buena suerte you know good luck this <laughs> week you know and uh you know just seeing the course for that first time is Indescribable. Uh, I'm sure that I know you've been many times. I'm sure most of the people who are seeing this have have probably been before. But if you haven't been, seeing the course is greater than seeing any of the golfers that are there. Uh, and walking the course, walking number ten, I'll never forget walking number ten for the first time and just seeing the beauty of that course and the elevation of that of that hole. And um, I have lots of good memories of just walking the course and and really putting my feet where I've seen. On TV for so long, you know, seeing what it actually looks like uh, is incredible. Huge Masters fan. Uh, I mean, I I couldn't be a bigger fan of anything than than Augusta. It is almost impossible to do it justice
0: describing what the feeling is if you're a golf fan walking in for the first time, not a blade of grass, not a
2: place, how green that place is. I I literally shed tears the first time I was on the course. Uh, You know, it's just, you know, the goosebumps and the hair standing on the back of your head and, uh it is it's indescribable. Um I, I think just being on any beautiful course is great, is fun, you know, is is enjoyable. Just the, the idea of golf as a sport, um the beauty and the serenity and the the nature, um it, it's a beautiful, beautiful sport. I think you and I both would love to go to Ireland, Scotland um you know, to get over there where golf was sort of ha- how it's meant to be played and and uh you know I, I think when I think about the traditions of golf and and the beauty of golf, um and I think Augusta does a really good job of I mean Augusta is about tradition. Uh and so you know being at a place where Sam Sneed and Ben Hogan and and these greats these pillars of the game uh walked um it just sort of all pours in that first time you come on the course. Um, yes, it's beautiful. And the blade, no blade of grass out of place. And, but the tradition and and knowing what has happened on those hallowed grounds, uh, it's just, it's overwhelming. It's really amazing
0: to think, you know, my first memories of it are '86, Jack Nicholas. I was, you know, 13 years old, but, um, I can still remember the holes he played in 86 and they're really the same holes today. Yes. They've lengthened some of them, but 12 is still 12. You know, the pond is still sitting next to 11 green, uh, 10. You still have to hit it. I mean, it just, they've changed things, but they've kept in the same. And I think that is yeah. something they've done so well. And it's kind of what makes golf great is, um, as a fan, you can, you can see the things the same way year after year after yeah. year. Um, it's incredible. Yeah. And sometimes you get a chance to play the same courses that the pros play. And you can kind of, you know, you very rarely have that experience in other sports of, of kind of being able to walk in someone else's footsteps. I know yeah. you have uh, ventured into the world of competitive golf from time to time, trying to um to satiate that that competitive uh instinct that you have. What's the difference for competitive golf versus playing, you know, a fun round with your buddies on a Wednesday afternoon?
2: Well for you uh, for you as an amateur. You- You know well, Josh, how I do in competitive golf and it's not pretty. I've missed many putts shorter than the width of this monitor that I'm looking at right now (laughs) uh, because of nerves. There are times that I'm putting in a competitive round and I'm really in my head, I'm over, I'm over a two foot putt and I'm thinking I cannot take the club back. I can't make myself take the club back. I've never felt nerves the way I felt in a competitive golf round, Um, you know, and I've played in some big basketball games for me, at least, you know, and national tournament games and um, never felt nerves like I did, like I do at a golf tournament. So like, you know, sitting at a free throw line in the last minute of a game with the game on the line versus the,
0: the local municipal championship where you got a two footer for par on the first hole.
2: No problem. And I think part of that may be that, you know, I played basketball, Hundreds of thousands of hours. I'm, you know, much more comfortable. But I've played a lot of golf, and it's more than just that. I I don't know if it's the fact that you're on your own. Like there's no team. It's it's you and that putt, or you and that shot. Um, I I don't I don't know what exactly what it is. And I'm I'm sure there's just a comfort level that you know I never got to in golf uh, that I got to in basketball. But but it's more than that. It's it's nerves that I've never felt before.
0: I, I can relate. I totally agree. Um, talk about nerves from the parent side. You know, you have five <sighs> wonderful children. Um, you have a wife who probably should be sainted uh, for dealing with <laughs> the five of them and you. Um, and all of your kids have played different sports, volleyball, basketball, baseball, football. Um, as a parent, what is it that you want sports to mean to your kids? You know, what, I know so many of parents – want their kids to achieve at the highest levels or see if they could get a college scholarship. And I'm not saying that's not important. What was important for you as a parent in your kids, you know, journey through high school sports or, or youth athletics?
2: Well, that's a great question. I'm, I'm disappointed, disgusted by a lot of what I see from parents, to be honest. Um, for For me, for my kids, I think, I really want them to understand the same things I'm trying to get across to my guys on, on my basketball team is how do you deal with success? How do you deal with failure? It, it translates way past basketball because, and I tell our guys all the time on the team that you guys are just training for one day when you're uh, a husband and a father and uh, an employee. Uh, or, or a boss, you know, you, we, you, you're all in training for adulthood. Uh, and so for my kids, what I want them to get out of, out of, you know, playing sports growing up is how to be a great teammate. You know, I know I've got lots of stories about, there was one, uh, my older son played baseball growing up and, and, uh, he played on a summer team one summer and, and he was okay, but he hadn't grown and he was small and, and got very little playing time. Um, and so every game we would drive to the to the game and, and he knew he wasn't going to play. He was just going to sit in the dugout you know, for most of the game. And so as frustrated as I was that he wasn't playing, you know, I wanted him to play. He wanted to play every day. I would drop him off and say, hey, I need you to be the best teammates you can be today. I need you to be the first one out of the dugout after every inning, to meet your teammates, to give them high fives. I need you to be the first one to celebrate when your teammate gets a double or a home run or whatever. Um, And he probably learned more that season than he did in all of his other baseball seasons, just because he learned how to give when things were going bad for him, like when he was hurting. Um, My daughter, I have a daughter who is a senior this year who just played her last basketball game uh the other night. Um it's devastating because I I love watching her play. Um and, and she loved playing. Uh and so you know I, I I'm so proud of her the way she played because she literally gave everything she had every game. Uh and, and she wasn't the kind of kid that was gonna go out and score twenty points a game um but she was her senior year she became this great leader you know she was calling the defenses calling the offense uh you know every time down the court, she's directing traffic um she's encouraging her teammates and this is way outside of her like her personality character traits um she grew so much in this past year of just becoming a leader um and they had some disappointments you know and she had to learn how to deal with those disappointments and she grew so much this year from just from basketball you know we think that it's just some silly sport that we're playing but it's really training them of how they're going to be as adults uh and that's the beauty of especially team sports you know where you're you're learning what it means how to interact on a team how how to serve when you're down and and how to stay humble when you're succeeding um those are Extremely important, you know, life traits that everybody needs to learn. Uh, And so I wish parents could just enjoy watching their kids play. You know, it's going to go really quick. Just love watching your kids play. I, I love to see when kids come out. I love to watch parents how they respond to their kids when they come out of the locker room. You know, are they, is it a coaching session? Are they jumping right into them about they did this wrong and this wrong and this wrong? or is it just give them a hug? You know, whether they play the whole game, don't play at all, play terrible, play great, just give them this big hug. You know, you're just proud of them for, for playing, that you enjoy just watching them play. Um, that's that's the ideal uh, as far as how parents should enjoy their, their kids playing high school, playing sports, playing sports. Now, is there a time to for a parent to push their kid? Absolutely. Um, and I think you can certainly push your kid if they're showing passion for that sport. Uh, I think you can push them uh, and give them every opportunity to succeed, but it has to be from them. It can't be you pushing them to do something right. uh, with a sport. Well, that leads me to my kind of my last question here is
0: when you do come across that athlete and as a coach and as a parent you have a, you have a son playing college baseball right now how do you know when it's the right time for to push them to make the most of their ability maybe at the next level is there a time to do that and what what traits do you see in athletes that tell you they're ready to move to another level
2: i i think that a uh, an athlete has to demonstrate over and over again a strong desire to continue. Uh, I don't. I don't think it's been my experience that kids who are wishy washy. That I don't know if I want to play college. I may want to play college basketball. I'm not sure. Those kids really don't, mm-hmm. because the amount of work right. it requires to be a, an elite athlete um, is all consuming. And if if you're uh, an athlete who is not willing, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with kids not wanting to play at the collegiate level or, or the next level or whatever it is. It's totally fine. But for a parent, my child has to demonstrate a strong desire to continue. Um, my son that plays baseball, uh, he, we haven't pushed him in baseball at all, but he will not give it up. He's just continuing to work and work and work and try and try and try. Um, he's at a junior college now just outside of Knoxville playing, uh, trying to play at the next level, trying to keep going. Um, and it's, I want to give him every opportunity he can to succeed, um, whether that's training or or whatever I can do for him, but it has to be him who's pushing, pushing himself to, to get there. Yeah. That's a really
0: great point. And and you and I both have coached athletes. Um, you know, I coached more golfers and, and you more basketball players, but that had the talent to play in college, but maybe not exactly what you're talking about. And a lot of times they end up going to college to play, but it's mostly because they are trying to satisfy their parents' desire, not their own inner drive. And that never works out. You know, I've seen never you know, works. countless golfers move away from the sport and, and actually not pick it up again just because of the stresses of, of playing college sports. So, you know, the internal drive is so much more important than the coach or the parent or even the peers. For sure.
2: And I, and I do think in golf, there's that that pressure is even greater than than basketball or, or team sports just because it's all you, you know, there's, it's just, it's just you. And so a kid who's getting intense pressure from his parents or his coach or whoever about playing at the next level or whatever, it's, that's just can be debilitating.
0: Right. A hundred percent. Um, that's really good advice. And, and I hope if uh, you're a parent out there listening, if you have a really talented athlete, uh, or even an athlete that may not have the talent yet, you can take some of that, that good advice, um, from both of us as they look maybe to the next level or maybe to something else. All right, coach, as we wrap up, this is the speed round. We change gears again in one word or one sentence or less. i got five questions for you. I'm going to start you off easy. And, do uh, it. let's see if you can do this on the fly. First favorite golf movie. Ten Cup. Okay. Fair enough. Caddyshack
2: caddyshock on that list anywhere? Eh, it's fun. Yeah. I mean it's got some funny parts, but Tim I'm Cupp. with you.
0: All right. I'm with Tin Cup. All right. Um most embarrassing moment on a golf course.
2: <laughs> Pretty much any time I play a competitive round, uh like in a tournament, uh certainly missing the six incher at two rivers that day with you was, was pretty high up there.
0: It was hard to watch. Uh, maybe my (laughs) most, maybe my most embarrassing moment as well. Uh, number three, you are stranded on a desert Island for five years. You have all the food you need, but you're there by yourself. The only thing you have going for you is they're going to drop right next to you, a golf course identical to one that you've already played and you have unlimited access to it for five years. What golf course is it?
2: I'm probably going to say May River at uh, Palmetto Bluff in South Carolina. Love it. You've talked about that course a lot. That's a trip you have to make.
0: Yeah. I I know the next one on your list is Harpeth Hills, but May River is great. (laughs) I think that's a good answer. Um, Best golf tip you've ever heard or you've ever used?
2: Oh, man. I. That changes from day to day. Uh, Sergio gave me a good tip, not personally, but from a video where when you're backswing, you want to pull the, chain, pull the chain down. Instead of thinking about swinging, you're just pulling the chain down. That's what I've been really focusing on the past couple of years. And you know what? That's been a big swing tip the last couple of years. A lot of
0: people are it using really different images of that. All yeah. right, last one. One course you have not played. In your dream foursome, you included. So you plus three others. What course and who are those three people?
2: Like, like celebrity people. Like whoever, whoever you want to be, man. I would go play somewhere in Ireland, uh, and I would probably play with who? I would probably play with Tiger and. Earl Woods, and my dad. Nice. That'd be a fun foursome. The the father-son
0: foursome. That'd be fun. Great answer. Yeah. John, thanks for uh, hanging out with us here uh, on the E9 interview, and we'll look forward to your future guest hosting gigs on our podcast.
2: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Thank you.
0: Thanks to John. Thanks to Mike for being with us today. Thank you for listening. Hope you can join us next week. The E9 Podcast is a production of Free Drop Media. Have a good week, everybody.